The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today, I am super duper excited because I have a guest that I have been wanting to speak with since before I even had a podcast. And definitely, you know, when you do plan a podcast, the first thing that people tell you is you need to think of like 10 people you want to interview. And today's guest was definitely at the top of the list. So I'm so excited to have Rob Schwartz with us today, the author of three of my favorite books and the expert, I think, on pre birth planning and how our souls plan our lifetimes before we are born. And Rob, welcome. Thank you again so much for being a guest. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And your books, for me, it was one of those things where your soul's plan just kept showing up in my Amazon, in like everywhere, everywhere. The book just kept being you know, shown to me. And as oftentimes when our guidance tries to get our attention, it took me a while to see the pattern. When I bought your book, it completely changed the way that I practice. It was like I opened this book, I read about this idea of soul planning, and all of a sudden, everything about my life made sense in a totally new way. And it really helped me with my clients as well. It was one of those things where, and I think this happens a lot with spiritual teachings, but this happens so much for me and so much with your work where I read the book and all of a sudden I was like, I know this, I knew this. And thank you so much for reminding me that it's a thing. And it changed everything for me. I'm honored by what you're saying. Thank you. So I know you talk about this a little in the books, but can you tell us how did you get to this place where you're writing books about soul planning and reincarnation? Well, basically what happened is uh, I was in the corporate world for a number of years doing marketing and communications, basically corporate writing, did not enjoy that at all. And at the age of 40, which was more years ago than I would like to admit, uh, I had basically an existential crisis about my life. I realized I couldn't continue doing what I was doing. I knew that I was here to do something else, but I didn't know what it was. And so I tried uh, very conventional routes to figure it out, career counseling, Myers-Briggs, all of that. None of that really helped. 
And then an idea came to me, go see a psychic medium. Now, I wasn't even sure if I believed in mediumship, but nothing else was working. And so I thought, well, why not? I'll give it a try. So I go, this is back in 2003, I go into this session with the medium and right out of the box, she says to me, your spirit guides are here. I said, what is a spirit guide? I'd never heard the term before. She explained that. And then she said, your guides would like to talk with you. And she started to channel them. And the first thing they said was, you planned your life, including your biggest challenges before you were born. And I said, well, why in the world would I have done that? And they said, well, you did this for purposes of spiritual growth. Now, what was really impressive and what really got my attention is that they then launched into this very detailed, lengthy discussion of what my challenges had been and why I had planned them. And they knew what all of my challenges had been without me telling them anything, nor had I told the medium anything about myself prior to the session. So as you can imagine, this really got my attention. And in the weeks after the session, I thought about this perspective constantly. And what it did was that it really created quite a deep healing for me. It allowed me for the first time to see deeper meaning and purpose to the most difficult things I had experienced. And then I thought, well, if this can create that kind of healing for me, surely it can do the same for others. And that was when I first started to think about writing a book on the subject. And then within a very short time, two other quite significant things happened. I had a spiritually transformative experience in which I was doing nothing more than walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon. And I had this experience in which I was overcome by pure, unconditional love for every person I saw. And this was not a human kind of love. This, this was a transcendent experience. And then uh, within a short time of that, I met a woman who has the ability to go into trance and channel her soul. So I spent 15 hours talking to her soul about pre-birth planning, found out everything about how it works. And the combination of these three things, the session with the medium, the spiritually transformative experience, and the channeling of this person's soul, the combination got me to say, okay, I will leave the corporate world and write a book on this subject. Three years later, Your Soul's Plan came out. Uh, and now I'm doing what I plan to do in this lifetime. I have a much more fulfilling, much richer life uh, in which I do things that actually help other people instead of just writing marketing copy, which was really never very interesting. So that in a nutshell is the story. I love it. I love everything about it. And I think, first of all, we have a similar story in that that 40-year mark, I think is really significant for a lot of humans. I don't know if you see that, but for me, that was where my awakening started around that time as well. And that same kind of story of there's something I'm supposed to be doing. It's not what I've been doing now, but I, I know it's there. So, I mean, do you think that's a significant age for a lot of people, awakening? I do. You know, when I started down the path to writing the first book, uh, I explored a, a lot of different things, one of which was numerology. I bought a book on numerology. I did all the, the main calculations. And sure enough, that, that number 40 in numerology has all kinds of significance. I actually believe that my spiritual awakening was planned specifically to occur in my 40th year here. Wow. I feel that way as well. And I think sometimes too, but I want to hear it from you. Our souls come here to accomplish different things. And for me, I always feel like the first part of my life in some ways was laying foundations, but there was also a lot of stuff I needed to work through, a lot of karmic stuff. And, you know, everything was perfectly timed for the work that I do now was because that was over. 
that was done. I did that. And now I get to look back at that from a fresh perspective and do something completely different. So I don't know what you get on that, but I always believe that there is divine timing and that our souls, you know, will accomplish many different things in one body. It's not always like a, what is my one purpose? Well, you know, what what I've seen in my research for my three books is that uh, it's not the case that we have just a plan A. We, we do, but we also have a plan B, C, D, E, F, and on and on and on. So many so-called backup plans that it's beyond human comprehension. And those backup plans are the soul taking into account the personality's free will. Your soul knows that you have free will. Your soul wants you to have it because that's the only way that truly meaningful learning can occur. And so there are all these backup plans that uh, are the soul taking into account the various free will choices that you might make. Right. And I think I've read this in your book, but I've also been shown this by my own guides. They're probabilities, right? I mean, it's almost like, except it's infinite. And you you know, because I understand that when I'm not in a body, I, I know in a different way than I know now, you know all the different ways that it could go, but they're infinite ways. Yeah. It's really beyond the comprehension of the human brain. One of the mediums I work with in my books she reports that when she goes into somebody's pre-birth planning session, spirit shows her something that looks like an incredibly vast and elaborate flowchart. Well, what is a flowchart? It's a series of decision points. If you do A, then X happens. If you do B, then Y happens. The flowchart that spirit shows her that represents the person's pre-birth plan is so vast and intricate, it's really beyond human comprehension. And again, that is just the soul taking into account free will. Right. Are there mistakes? It depends on how you define mistake. I would answer no to that because the things that we consider mistakes from the level of the personality, those are accounted for in these many backup plans that the soul creates. And so a mistake from our perspective, that simply means that you have decided on some level to take a longer, more arduous route to the same destination. You're going to get where you plan to go. It's just a question of will it be a path filled mostly with joy or less joy and more suffering? And that depends upon your free will decisions. And do you think most decisions can be revised in the moment? Meaning I'm going down one path and I realize, oh, wait, this one is not is a little funky. You know, there are a very small number of pre-birth choices that are set in stone. But most of them, as you said, are probabilities. The ones that are set in stone are things like, for example, your choice of parents. Once you're born, obviously you can't change who your parents are. Or let's say that you plan to be born with a medical handicap that can't be treated by medical science in the time period in which you're incarnating. Then short of a miracle, you will have that handicap for that lifetime. But these sorts of things are few in number. Almost everything is set up as a possibility or a probability. Sometimes the probability is so high as to be almost certain, uh, but it isn't an absolutely set in stone. And to come back to the question you just asked, uh, plans get modified all the time. And one of the main ways in which that happens, when you are asleep at night, you leave the physical body, you travel back to the other side in the astral or spirit body. So do the other significant people in your life. You get together and you ask essentially one question, which is, are we learning what we came here to learn? If the answer is yes, then carry on. But if the answer is no, then you talk about what changes you need to make in order to learn those things. So you're always in school. 
on the other side, even when you're here, forgetting that you have that deeper connection and that deeper knowing. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, in my online workshop, we do a group between lives regression, uh, which puts people in front of the council of elders, the beings who oversee reincarnation on earth. And one of the questions I always prompt them to ask is, uh, what kind of classes do we take on the other side? And everybody always finds out that they're studying something. There's variability in what they study, but we're always essentially in school. Yeah, no, I believe that. And I think sometimes, I know this is the case for me. I don't know if it's the case for you and some of our listeners, but I think I sometimes remember some of those experiences when you wake up from a dream and you know, oh, we were having a conversation last night. Someone came into my mind in that dream and I know we were working on something. Something was going on over there to help me down here, even if I don't fully understand everything that was discussed. Yeah, I have that sense sometimes too. I know that I met with somebody I very rarely recall anything about what was discussed, but I know that there was a discussion that took place. Yeah. And I think, you know, telling people too, sometimes if you do dream about somebody or something that there can be many different things, but that can be a sign that you are, you're doing some work with them on the other side. That's right. The other thing that I will sometimes try is if I'm like pondering over a difficult situation or a difficult interaction with someone, I do this a lot in my work, but personally it can work too. I'll ask before I go to sleep, to um, try it out on the other side. And oftentimes I will dream of that situation, that conversation, the situation going a certain way. And I find that it often facilitates a smoother experience on the human plane as well. So I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Well, that's a really intriguing idea. I had never heard of anybody doing that before. And now that you've mentioned it, I think I'm going to try it myself. Yay. Yeah, no, it's really, really helpful. And again, you don't do it from a place of, I want to go to sleep and make it go my way because that's that's not going to get it done. It's more a matter of, you know, I just, I asked for a little practice run. I asked for a little support over there. And a lot of times I will dream the solution and then it will manifest. It's a good way to do it. Yeah, it's really cool. But I'm thinking about it more now the way that you say that it probably is just my setting that human intention for what is probably already wanting to go on on the other side. So it's super cool. So in your books, you bring up and you work on a lot of different challenges. And I have a list here of some of the things that you have covered in the books from the perspective of these are challenges that people have in their human lifetime. And this is why your soul planned them for those people. A death of a loved one, having a disabled child, having an illness, a mental illness, abortion, miscarriage, sexuality, drug addiction, infidelity, and my favorite, which I want to get to at the end, interdimensional parenting. A couple questions. One, how did you pick the issues that you covered in the book? Uh, They were just quite simply the things that were most interesting to me. One of the channels I work with channels Jesus. And I asked him very early on before the first book came out, how do I know which topics to cover in the books? And he said, write about whatever interests you, whatever excites you. That is your guidance. Uh, And I have followed that. And I think it's worked quite well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one to follow in life, Yeah. right? If you follow what you're curious about, what interests you and what you're passionate about, that is definitely your soul's wisdom guiding you. But not a lot of us have been taught to do that, right? We've been taught actually the opposite. Yeah, that's true. I mean, society conditions us to suppress those things. You know, there's a lot of pressure in human society to conform. On the other side, it's just the opposite. Individuality is prized. Uniqueness is prized. Right. And isn't that what we're here to do? We're here to express our uniqueness. We are, but there's a lot of conditioning you have to undo very often in order to do that. 
Is that a life plan? Or let me ask a different question. Does that figure into our life plans or how would that figure into our life plan? That idea of being authentic and expressing your individuality. Well, the way it figures in, and I I think it is a a big part of many, many people's plans, uh, the soul learns through contrast. In in my books, I refer to this as a learning through opposites life plan. Soul learns best through the experience of the opposite of what it eventually wants to learn. So just to take a very simple and common example, let's say that you have a pre-birth intention to deepen in compassion. What you might very well do then is plan to incarnate in a nuclear family that treats you with a profound lack of compassion. The absence of compassion in the external environment is intended to drive you within where hopefully you'll cultivate self-compassion. And then invariably the plan calls for you to take whatever qualities you've cultivated internally for yourself and turn them outward later in life in service to others. Beautiful. What about people that will cause harm to others? What do you think their life plans might look like? Well, I can tell you from my research for the books, uh, a lot of times what will happen is somebody will decide pre-birth that they need somebody to mistreat them in some way in order to stimulate their spiritual growth. So you will give that assignment to another soul who you know well, who there's a lot of love with, and a lot of trust based upon having played roles for each other in previous lives. Sometimes the soul that you ask to do this agrees right away, but very often there's a reluctance to do it. Then the other soul will say something like, well, I really don't want to treat you that way. And then very often that person will say, but I really need this kind of role from you in order to get where I want to go. And then the person reluctantly agrees, often involving some kind of personal sacrifice in order to do it. And is that always the case? Or are there times when, you know, a human being gets into a body and they just they just lose it and end up doing things that are not so great and not so kind? Does that happen as well, where that wasn't necessarily the plan? Or if it was the plan, there's still some karma involved? That does happen. Uh, It happens a fair amount. And that's why incarnation in the earth school is actually a risky undertaking, because again, we do have free will and some people will use their free will to deviate as much as they possibly can from the pre-birth plan. Did they know it before? Did they look at the probabilities and say, there's a probability in this lifetime that I'm going to become a mass murderer? I I think that that is understood. Uh, For example, in my first book, Your Soul's Plan, in the chapter on accidents, Uh, There's a woman who plans to be blown up in a bomb explosion, believe it or not. And the soul who she creates this agreement with, this is a soul who has done things like planting bombs in past lives. This soul has a lot of unhealed anger that is being carried back into body, not for the purpose of expressing it, but rather for the purpose of healing it. But it's understood that if this soul is not successful in healing it, then he is highly likely to plant a bomb once again which she will experience because she wanted to be a gifted healer in this lifetime. And by healing herself first, she acquired the skills to do that. So they discuss what would happen if this person succeeds in healing himself and never plants the bomb. And she has backup plans in place in which she will experience some other form of very severe accident. So one way or another, she's going to have that kind of experience because she needs it in order to become the gifted healer she wants to be. And so the one that plants the bombs understands this is my process of healing. When I go back into this body, because this pain that I'm bringing in is so deep, there is a 
pretty high probability that I may succumb to it once again, to these behaviors once again. Uh, but that's a risk I'm willing to take because this is part of my soul's larger healing and growth process. Yeah, that, that essentially is the gist of the conversation they have. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it brings so much into view where we can kind of understand not just the challenges that we have and the things that happen to us, or as you might say, for us, but also understanding our transgressions as well. And And I feel like Seeing it this way gives you such a deep compassion for yourself, for your choices, for the choices of others, understanding that we're all doing the best that we can and that our souls understand what we're working with, what we're undertaking here, how easy or difficult it's going to be, and yet we still make the choice to do it. Yeah, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to incarnate on Earth. There are many, many beings who see the value of an incarnation on Earth but actually don't have the courage to incarnate here. And I always tell people the fact that you're in a body on planet Earth, that automatically places you among the most courageous beings in the universe. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. I've heard the same thing. I see myself, and again, I won't know till I get to the other side as one of those like crows that keeps seeing shiny things and just keeps coming, coming, coming. I don't know. I think my soul has some affinity to this Earth school place, but. I also recognize for myself, but also a lot of the people that I work with, the courage that it takes to experience some of the things that we experience when we are here, it's mind-blowing. And I feel sometimes too in the work that I do, and definitely in the work that you do, when you can give people that perspective and let them know how cherished and honored they are just for showing up every day in this human form, you know, it it changes everything. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. And My understanding also is that uh, at this time of planetary ascension, there were actually three times as many souls as available bodies. That's how many souls wanted to be incarnated at this time. And in order to make that one in three cut, you had to have something specific to offer the ascension process. So, you know, our world is filled with people who feel small, weak, powerless, helpless. Nothing could be further from the truth. You made a one in three cut to be embodied this time. And you made it because you have something specific to offer the ascension process. Wow, that's so powerful. I got to sit with that for a second. I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about more specifically about the work that you do outside of the books, the between life regression, right? Mm -hmm. I'd love to know a little bit more about what that looks like, how that feels for people. And I'm curious too, because as we were saying, I think before we hit record, but now I don't remember when that was, the work that I do... And in part of things to you, I really do feel in lighting that that seed and helping me know what my guides wanted to communicate with me. But the work that I do is I, I will see past lives on the behalf of people. I will often be given information about whatever struggle or challenge they come into my office to work on. And I don't always share it, but I'm always shown it, what their soul is trying to get out of it. But I think it's a very different experience when people have a regression and they see it for themselves. And sometimes my clients will have, I know if someone's reading a past life for me, I will immediately go into it and see it and connect with it and get my own 411. But that's not always the case with my clients. So I would just love to learn more about what you do because I think it's it's very powerful for people to experience it themselves firsthand. So I, what I do is uh, called a between lives soul regression or BLSR for short. Uh, It can be done either one-on-one as a private session, in which case we do it by phone or Skype, or we do it as a group in my online workshop. And it works just as well either way. 
It's a long process. It takes uh, between two and three hours usually. It starts with some preliminary steps to help the person relax physically and then mentally. Then I guide the person into a past life. They experience several different scenes in the past life. It's almost always a past life that had a big impact on the plan for the current lifetime. The portion of their consciousness that is having the experience leaves the body in the death scene in the past life and crosses back over to the other side, which I realize might sound a little bit ominous, but there's actually nothing to it. It's very easy and gentle. When the client gets back to the other side, about 80% are greeted by a spirit guide. The other 20% are greeted by a deceased loved one, an angel or archangel, an ascended master. You talk briefly with whoever greets you about why you were shown that past life, what's important to know about it, and how it affected the plan for the current lifetime. And then you ask whoever you're talking with to take you to the Council of Elders. The Council consists of the very wise, loving, and highly evolved beings who oversee reincarnation on Earth. So they know literally everything about you, everything about the plan for your current lifetime, and also everything about every past life you've ever had. So when you get in front of the Council of Elders, that is potentially a life-changing experience because they can answer literally any question you put to them. People will come out of a between-lives regression and say things like, they answered every question I asked, I have no more questions about my life. They also say things like, I could sense this overwhelming, unconditional love for me coming from the council. I could also sense that they knew everything about me, including all the bad things I've done in my life, and yet they loved me unconditionally anyway. And you know, for the average person, that experience of complete unconditional love that's the first time they felt that since coming into body. Now, that's our natural state on the other side, but it's a rare experience here on Earth. So when you have this kind of unconditional love, uh, it's really a homecoming of sorts. It's beautiful. Yeah, I can really see that. And so you really have people that after this, they say, I understand my life now. I have every piece of information I needed to have. Yeah. Now, sometimes the counselor will choose not to answer a particular question. Something like, when am I going to die? They don't want to answer something like that for obvious reasons, uh, although occasionally they will answer. But for the most part, as long as it's for your highest good to know the answer to a question, they're going to answer. Beautiful. And so the information that they will give is about navigating the body that you're in now with respect to the other bodies that you've been in. So again, you're getting information about what's my purpose and meaning here and the experiences that I'm having in this current body? Yeah, the, the most common questions that are asked and that are answered by the council are, what did I plan? Why did I make those plans? How am I doing in terms of fulfilling my plan? And how can I better fulfill my plan? Beautiful. Do you ever get information about future lifetimes? Occasionally, not for the most part. And I think the reason for that is that it's so dependent upon free will decisions that have not yet been made Right. that it's just not clear in terms of probabilities exactly what the future lives are going to be. Sometimes my guides will show me, often in the form of a past life, but sometimes in the form of the present one, they'll show me a moment when a certain experience in this body was created. So it could be somebody, I'm trying to think of an example, someone who's passing out of their body and you know, at the moment of deep fear, or they see somebody else that's so loving and so kind. And at that moment, because it's just so powerful and strong, they want to experience a life with that person. Or they find someone 
that's so kind on the battlefield and they want to, wow, I would like to be that person or I'd like to have that experience. Do you find these things when you do the regressions? So they'll show me, I guess I hope I'm explaining this clearly. The guides will show me the moment where this experience, this moment, this person, this thing was brought into your life in the context of a past life. And it's always a moment where there was an intense longing or an intense curiosity, but it's always a moment. And I, I don't know how that looks from the work that you do from your perspective. Yeah, that, that comes up not so much in the conversation with the council, but in the past life part of the between lives regression that precedes it. People do see moments like that where something was established or wheels were set in motion, very much as you just described. Right. And I will sometimes, I'm given decision points. So I've sometimes seen that someone's at a decision point where they may be exiting their body. Usually they haven't, but I have, especially early on, been in places where I saw someone have that decision point and they made the choice to leave. Um, Sorry, it was early in my work, that particular one, and it was emotional. But I will see that, you know, and I will often see people make the decision to stay, which is also a really nice decision. And I will also sometimes see where someone's struggling on something, the moment where their soul is contemplating another journey to address this issue. So again, I don't usually share that with people because I don't necessarily think it's important for them to know, but I've been shown that. And I would imagine that that could come up in your work as well. Yeah, again, that's the kind of thing that would come up in the past life portion of the between lives regression. Um, It might not be clear to the client as they're going through the past life that they're at a decision point like that, but you could get that from your discussion with the guide after the past life is over. Perfect. So I was recently told in a past life reading that I had a simultaneous life, meaning I finished the last lifetime while I was also in this body. Is that a thing? Uh, It is a thing that we have parallel selves in parallel dimensions. Uh, This comes up in the mental illness chapter of my second book, Your Soul's Gift. The story there, it's about a woman who, starting in early childhood and continuing into middle age, she had a very rare and extreme form of psychosis in which if she were asleep at night and she had a nightmare, say, about a monster attacking her, When she woke up, she would continue to see the monster in her bedroom, even though nothing was actually there, but it appeared real to her. So this was absolutely terrifying to her. It went on for decades. Uh, She got married at some point during that, and it had a profound impact on her husband as well, as you can imagine. So in the research for that chapter, we spoke with Jesus in a channeling session and said, what is going on here? And he says, basically... Uh, She has several parallel selves in parallel dimensions, and she is processing their unhealed energies on their behalf. Uh, She's doing this work for them. And the form that it's taking is that it's showing up as this very rare form of psychosis. Uh, There's also some discussion of parallel selves in the rape chapter in Your Soul's Gift. And the story there is about a, a woman named Beverly who experienced a rape. And again, we did a channeling session with Jesus, and I asked him, is there a parallel Beverly in a parallel dimension who did not experience the rape? And he says, yes, there is. And then I asked him, can you explain this concept of parallel selves? Because it's it's very difficult to understand. And he says, well, think of the soul as being like the trunk of a tree, and the limbs are individual lifetimes. So limbs sprout and grow, and then they eventually die and fall off the tree, but the tree continues growing, and then new limbs sprout, grow, fall off the tree. 
He says, if you think of it like that, that's essentially what is happening with parallel selves and parallel dimensions. They're created by the soul. They exist for some period of time. Uh, and then when the function has been served, they cease to exist. Wow. I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. It's very difficult to understand from a human perspective. Yeah, kind of. For me, a lot of the there's a lot of things that I know. I've always had the ability to, even before I knew why or that it was a thing or that spirit even existed, um, because I wasn't brought up with any kind of spiritual background. I've always known things and I've always known things beyond words. So for me, for example, I understand that there's no time. My brain doesn't understand, but I can feel it. I know what it feels like and it feels more true than, than our linear reality, if that makes sense. And I often teach people that when you listen to spiritual teachings, when you read spiritual books, soften the mind, right? Because your mind is going to want to know and it's going to want to have details and it's going to want to have things that are true and set and firm and, and those things don't really exist. <laughs> well, and, and not only that, but you know, language is so inherently limited my wife channels uh, privately, she doesn't do it publicly, but um, the beings that she channels have told her that when we are trying to deliver a message to you or through you, it's a real challenge for us because there are so many concepts that are really beyond any words that exist in your language. And so we have to choose something that's as close as we can get, but it isn't always that, all that close. Right. And then by the time the human eardrums hear it and translate it, it goes down another seven levels or more, yeah. depending on who, which eardrums. So it's fascinating. It's amazing. And I, I really, I'm so curious now. I really honor our guides. And who are the guides that come to support us, who make this commitment to try to communicate with us? What's your take on how all that works? Well, sometimes a guide can be just a loved one who has transitioned back to the other side. But depending upon what your plan is for your life and what kind of expertise you need, sometimes guides are very highly evolved beings who are beyond reincarnation. Uh, and they're just working with you through inspiration and ideas and feelings in order to guide you along the path that you've chosen for yourself. And not all of the guys that we have have walked on earth, correct? There are just some loving energies that want to help out but have not actually experienced what it's like to be on the inside. That's my understanding as well. Yeah. So we, we have a range of support, which is so cool. All right. I'm going to pivot again. I did an episode not so long ago about what do you mean I chose that? Because a lot of there's a lot of talk in the new agey spiritual community. You chose your parents. You chose this. It's happening for you, not to you. I believe all of that a thousand percent. But I also think it's so important for people to recognize your human self doesn't know that it chose. And you want to honor the part of yourself that does feel like it's happening to me. I don't understand it. Ouch, this hurts. So I wanted to know what your take on that is. And do you ever run into people that find this whole idea of, pre-birth planning, you know, like offensive or triggering or uncomfortable? And how do you deal with that if it happens? Well, I think it is very important to honor the part of yourself that doesn't remember having planned and maybe doesn't even believe that this planning took place. You know, anytime you reject any portion of yourself, you're, you're placing yourself in resistance to yourself. And growth does not occur when you're in resistance to yourself. If you really want to accomplish spiritual growth, you've got to be accepting and loving toward all parts of yourself, including the part that doesn't know or doesn't believe. That's just a fundamental thing. In terms of people not accepting the idea of pre-birth planning or rejecting it outright, 
you know, a lot of people are still in a state of victim consciousness. And there are some secondary benefits to that. I mean, it's a way to bond and connect with other people who also see themselves as victims. And you can get a lot of support from them. Uh, and I say that without judgment, that support can be very valuable. But at some point in a person's evolution, they're going to have to move beyond victim consciousness. And when you're ready to do that, pre-birth planning, in my opinion, is the way to go. Because once you understand that you yourself planned your biggest challenges, that pulls you out of victim consciousness. And there's a lot of value in emerging from victim consciousness because that, as I understand it, victim consciousness is literally the lowest vibration a human being can be at. And it tends to be self-perpetuating because when you believe that you're a victim, you are energetically stating to the universe that you're a victim. Well, whatever energetic statement you make to the universe, it always responds in the same way. It always says, yes, that's right, you are. So if you state energetically to the universe that you're a victim, it says, yes, you are a victim, and it will bring to you more experiences that seem on the surface to confirm to you that you are, in fact, a victim. The way to break out of that negative self-perpetuating cycle is simply to understand that you are the brave and powerful soul who planned your challenges. Then if you also come into some understanding of why you plan them, that's even better because then you can learn the underlying lessons in a much more conscious and much less painful manner. Right. And you said something at the end there that's so important that I really want to highlight. You're going to learn the lesson anyway. And so a lot of what the work that you're putting out into the world, and I think a lot of the people that are called to listen to these kinds of podcasts, these kind of teachings, it's about doing it more consciously because you're ready to you know, be more of a conscious participant in this human experience. Yeah, what I've seen in the research for my books, a lot of people that I interviewed for the books had this pattern in which a certain kind of challenge would occur. They would not get the lesson. Then the challenge comes back in an in increasingly intense form if they don't get the lesson the second time, it comes back more intensely the third time. And this kind of pattern just keeps going on and on until finally they identify and learn the lesson. And what was interesting was a number of people had a particular expression to describe this phenomenon. They said, the universe hit me over the head with the cosmic two by four, which was an expression I had never heard until I started doing research for my books. But it, they were saying this in regard to this phenomenon in which the same kind of challenge kept coming back in increasingly intense form. If you see that kind of pattern in your life, that is your soul really trying to get your attention about something. Yeah, no, I think that's huge. And we see that a lot, even in the counseling literature, you'll see people with traumas, they'll keep happening, you know, and we know too, you know, you tend to, if you have, have an early dysfunctional relationship, you tend to keep creating that relationship again and again in your life until you get the benefit and you say, wait, no, I have some control here. I can make a different choice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's so powerful. All right. People may not know, and we haven't talked about it super much, but people may not know, just can you walk us through the process in the books? Because what you do, I think is really magical. You take an issue and then you have a team of different people with different gifts sort of looking at different angles of what that challenge that the person is experiencing and that you're writing about what their soul came here to learn. Can you just share a little bit about how those books are structured and, and how you came upon that process? Yeah, the, the books, uh, the chapters are organized by type of life challenge. So you can look at the table of contents. And if you're undergoing one of those challenges, go straight to that chapter. Uh, the format is that I interview somebody about whatever the challenge is. 
And then that person will have one, two, or sometimes three sessions with mediums and channels who are my collaborators. In those sessions, we ask spirit, did this person plan this experience before he or she was born? And if so, why? And then I present all the information that came through. The mediums have different ways of getting at this information. Uh, one, for example, is very good at talking to the quote-unquote deceased. Another person channels people's souls, people's higher selves. Uh, another one channels angels. There's the woman I mentioned earlier who channels Jesus. So they get at it in different ways. Now, in the new book, uh, Your Soul's Love, that came out earlier this year, that book is a combination of the sessions with the mediums and channels and the between lives regressions that I do as a hypnotist. Uh, so by combining both of those things, we get at it from very different angles. And the information that comes through in those different kinds of sessions complements each other. You said something else. Are life challenges ever not planned? Do we ever accidentally you know, walk off the cliff and our, our soul had no idea that was going to happen? Or it was a super remote chance? Because I guess with probabilities, you know everything that could happen. Well, there are things that, that happen that are not foreseen. And this is another reason why incarnating on Earth is a risky undertaking. In the channeling sessions for the first two books, I often asked, what percentage of the time is this particular challenge, whatever it might be, planned? And there was variability in that answer, but it generally came in somewhere around 70%. So that's still leaving a large chunk of things that were not anticipated. Wow. Wow. And I would say, too, that although I often refer people to your books on particular issues, it's important to know, too, and I'm sure you say this in the book, everyone's going to get something different out of a particular life experience. And though there are commonalities of, say, having a disabled child or having mental illness or struggling with infertility or a dysfunctional family of origin, it's going to have a unique flavor for each of us. So you always want to, when you're reading a book like this or, or taking in any information out in the world, you always want to feel into it and feel what resonates with you. And I find that just reading all of the stories can be really helpful because sometimes in a story and someone having an experience that's nothing like anything I've ever had in this lifetime, there's still something in their experience that speaks to me, that awakens something in me and a knowing in me of, oh, maybe I'm working on that too. That really fits. Well, that's just it. You know, a lot of times very different kinds of life challenges are planned for similar or the same underlying lessons. So somebody else may be working on compassion, for example, just like you are, but they've got a very different kind of plan that they felt would help them to deepen in compassion. So if you just look at their story on a surface level, you might say, well, this is their story. It has nothing to do with me. But if you look a little bit deeper, you find out they're working on the same lesson. And then there's something in their story that can help you learn whatever it is you want to learn. Yeah, exactly. All right. This brings me to my favorite case study from your most recent book, can we chat about interdimensional parenting? Because that one, that was so cool. And I'm sure a lot of people wonder what that is. So the, this is something that I just sort of stumbled into almost by accident. Uh, it's the story of a, a German woman who lives in Mexico. She married a Mexican man and they settled there. Uh, and they had a, a son named Luca. And uh, shortly after Luca was born, her husband was killed in a plane accident. He was an adventure sports reporter. He was covering some kind of extreme adventure sporting event. 
He went up in a plane with the pilot. Something went wrong. The plane crashed. They were both killed. Well, right after he died, he came to his wife, Alexa, in his astral or spirit body, and he told her what had happened. And he said to her, we planned this. Everything is okay. Everything is going to be okay. I'm going to help you raise Luca from the other side. And that is, in fact, what he has done. He shows up. He talks with her. There was, she shared with me a particular anecdote that I thought was very interesting. When Luca was about four years old, he came to his mother and he said to her, Mama, I'm going to draw a picture of everybody who lives in the house here. And she thought, oh, that's nice. He's going to draw me himself and our cats and dogs. Well, Luca goes off. He comes back about an hour later with this crayon drawing, presents it to her. And she looks at it and she says, well, Luca, I see myself. I see you. I see our cats. I see our dogs. But who or what is this? And she pointed to a figure in the middle of the drawing. It's an egg shape with little stick arms and stick legs and a stick neck and head sticking out of it. And she said, Luca, who or what is this? And he said, that's Papa. So he was seeing his father in the house. Well, the father has remained just as active in raising him from the other side as he would have been if he had been here. It's a very different kind of experience, of course. But this is what was planned for a number of different reasons. Uh, the three of them felt that each of them would achieve the most soul growth by doing what I eventually called interdimensional parenting. Wow. And I see this sometimes with my clients, and it's it's not always, but sometimes after someone has passed, I always get the sense that they're around and that they are continuing the relationship from the other side. I don't always get that sense, but sometimes it feels like part of the agreement is I'm going on this side, but I'm still here. And it sounds like this is a case of that. Yeah. One of the main reasons that uh, they set this up is that they... Uh, Alexa and her husband, Jorge, are very uh, flamboyant, adventurous kinds of people. And they tend to be somewhat dependent upon each other in past lives. And so they felt before they were born that both of them needed to cultivate uh, somewhat more independence. And they chose to do it this way. This keeps them in connection enough so that they can still express and receive love with each other. But it separates them enough seemingly on the surface, so that each one will be motivated to cultivate the independence that they wanted to cultivate. Wow. I could talk to you all day and the questions keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And I'm so sad that these are not two-hour episodes. Maybe I'll get another chance. The question that I ask everybody is, how do you experience your intuition? Oh, interesting. Uh, It's just sort of a feeling of rightness or wrongness. I don't know that I can say much more about it than that, but sometimes very clearly something just feels wrong or something just feels right. And I trust that feeling. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think that is a beautiful one. Rob, is there anything else that we didn't get to today? I just want to mention the website, which is yoursoulsplan.com. You can read large excerpts from all three books for free on the website. The workshops are listed on the events page. And if anybody wants to contact me with any questions, uh, there's a contact page. Beautiful. Okay, yoursoulsplan.com. And we'll have all of that, of course, in the show notes. Are there any other words of wisdom before we call it a day? Just remember, again, that you made a one in three cut to be here. And, and so did everybody else who's on the face of the planet. So honor yourselves and honor everybody else for having the courage to incarnate here 
and also for having something to offer Earth's ascension process. I love that. Thank you so much. This has been as exciting as I thought it was going to be, and I really appreciate your time. And thank you also, everyone, for tuning in, and namaste. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.